What if um, the supervisor sees the employee just, you know, looking completely worn out? Maybe they've started with a cough. Um, they're sweating, um, you know, some of those typical signs of COVID-19, which could also mirror signs of many other viruses or sure. allergies. Um, you know, should the supervisor or other employees um, be proactive about noticing those things and maybe even sending someone home if they witness that? You're listening to OMAG All Access, a podcast about all things affecting municipalities in Oklahoma. Hosted by OMAG General Counsel Susie Paulson and OMAG Associate General Counsel Monica Coleman. Hi, today Monica and I are going to uh, run through some COVID-19 frequently asked questions that we receive, um, phone calls and emails about, um, some over the last year, some more recent comments that um, and questions that we've received. Um, hopefully at the end, there'll be some time left that we can answer um, some questions for you. Um, so Monica, I'll start with what do you advise a caller or someone who emails us regarding, um, you know, employees who are exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19? Do they need to quarantine? First and foremost, it is a policy decision and every city is going to need to develop their own exposure and quarantine policy. Um, we have samples of that on our OMAG website. If anyone needs to reference that, we've we've got a sample of that. Um, But the city should consider the CDC guidelines in any state or local ordinances uh, when developing their exposure policy. Um, The CDC advises that employees with symptoms of acute respiratory illness and a fever should stay home. They can't resume their activity until they are free of a fever that is 100.4 Uh, or greater using an oral thermometer or no longer have signs of a fever, free of any other symptoms for at least 24 hours without the use of fever reducing or other symptom uh, altering medicines such as cough suppressants. So those are the the CDC guidelines that would would lead an employee back into the the workplace following um, a COVID-19 illness. Obviously, I always... uh, defer to the medical personnel. So if an employee has a physician who um, has provided some information that would indicate beyond the symptoms that the employee should continue to quarantine, then we're going to defer to the medical um, reports on that. Okay. Um, What if um, the uh, employee experiences symptoms at work, what would you advise? So if an employee is exhibiting symptoms at work, we want to get them out of the workplace. Um, if That's really important if they work around other people, uh, for sure. Uh, but even those who may work alone in the field, if they are having signs and symptoms of COVID-19, they need to go home. What if the employee... Um, is telling everyone it's just allergies. Uh, yeah, because that happened to me. Actually, I was here for several days uh, thinking that I had allergies, much like a lot of other people were having around here, and found out at the end of the week that um, I should, I had been exposed um, and needed to be tested and ultimately did test positive. So, um, I, you know, I think that... 
Uh, if you have an employee who says, I'm just having allergies, that's not unreasonable to think, well, an employee can have allergies. So I, I think, again, it's one of those fact-specific situations that just has to be evaluated on its own. There's no one 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 case uh, scenario that that you can follow. Okay, and I'll say the sample that we have on our website is really kind of a starting point. So every city is going to be different. You know, some cities had mask ordinances, some did not. Some cities have three employees, some cities have 300. So you're going to have to decide what's best for your city considering all of those factors um, moving forward. So don't just take the policy as is um, and publish it. I mean, there may be a situation where that's acceptable, but obviously take a look at it and make sure it fits your city. Um, And as the vaccines come out um, and we learn more about the virus, you know, take a look at that policy and update it. Um, There may be some things that were really restrictive put in place at the beginning of COVID-19 that maybe um, as a practical matter, you could loosen up or lift at this point. So I think for a little while, that's going to be kind of an evolving policy. And a little bit, we'll talk about vaccines and, and some policies you can have for that. Yeah. So, So Susie, what if an employee's been exposed to someone with COVID-19? Two issues here. One, does the city require the employee to quarantine? And if not, what if the employee feels like they need to self-quarantine? So we've had the self-quarantine issue come up actually probably more now um, than we did early on, because I think early on it was kind of a no-brainer, and that's what everybody was doing. Everybody was taking the most precautions no matter what. Every, you know, self-quarantine, if sometimes even if it was a third-party exposure, depending on the city. Um, but now that vaccinations are more prevalent, um, we know more about the virus. We know or think that masks work, social distancing works. Um, employers have PPE. They have policies and practices in place in the workplace to significantly reduce the risk of transmission. Um, so you mentioned that you had COVID-19 and you were at the office. We wear masks outside of our own offices. We all respect each other's space um, very well. Um, We don't eat or congregate in common areas anymore. And I think that with all of those precautions in place, it significantly reduced the, um, the risk that you would have spread it to anybody at the office. So I don't think anybody was worried at that point, because we do take those precautions. And at this point, they're habits that we've developed over time. And so um, I think at least for the foreseeable future, you should keep those habits in place. But if you get an employee who says, I need to self-quarantine, I actually got quite a few calls around the spring break time on this, um, which makes you question, do people really need to self-quarantine or do they just want time at home Um, for spring break. I don't know. Um, But I think you should always listen to the employees. um, You know, try to understand all the circumstances without getting into too much medical detail. Um, uh, At this point, um, there's no requirement to pay them any sort of federal benefit for the leave. 
So I would just, if they're willing to use their vacation or sick leave or go leave without pay, if it's a, uh, one of those situations, then I think you should consider it. Obviously, if there's a situation where they can remote work, look into that. But um, I think you should probably defer to the employee. Um, if the employee brings in a, doc- a doctor's note, obviously defer to the doctor's note. Um, let's see. Again, each city is going to have to address those on a case-by-case basis. Um Well, let me ask this. Can an employee involuntarily send home um, employees if they're exhibiting signs? So what if um, the supervisor sees the employee just, you know, looking completely worn out? Maybe they've started with a cough. um, They're sweating. um, You know, some of those typical signs of COVID-19, which could also mirror signs of many other viruses or allergies. Um, you know, should the supervisor or other employees um, be proactive about noticing those things and maybe even sending someone home if they witness that? Yes, I, I definitely think that if you have an employee in the workplace exhibiting signs and symptoms of an illness that looks like COVID-19 or looks like the flu, you know, um, you, you can send them home. Okay. And it's probably wise that you that you do that, whether or not the employee does so willingly. Um, you do have to think about the other employees in the workplace, and you don't need everybody um, coming coming down with with an illness. Um, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Yes. You want the other employees to feel safe, and there still really is with a good. I wouldn't say majority, with a good portion of the employees that still have a lot of high anxiety around this. I mean, I know for me, my husband's type 1 diabetic, and so he had a lot of anxiety. We have two kids. We're trying to keep everything as normal as possible, but there's still that anxiety. And so, um, you know, you, you you have to be considerate of the other employees right. at work as well. Well, and if, and if that employee who's exhibiting those signs and symptoms um, has no way of, of leaving the workplace immediately, let's say they've got to have a, a ride home, um, then just remove them from the other employees into an area where they're more isolated to until they can leave the workplace. I mean, and if you think about it, this is to some extent no different than any other virus or illness. Right. I mean, if you know, before COVID, it could have been the flu. It could yeah. have been strep. It could yeah. have been some other things. So um, we don't want to expose any employees to any of those things. Uh, right. I mean, I think, as you said, it's no different than any other illnesses it, that we've dealt with in the past during flu season and those kinds of things. Um, it's it's just really the the prudent thing to do. We don't we don't need all of our employees becoming ill, and most of us have a sick leave benefit. That's what that's for. So yeah. let's let's just uh, be smart about that. Um, So talking about other employees, Mm -hmm. um, and maybe this is one of those things that's kind of changed with time, but we have received questions about, okay, I have an employee who tested positive for COVID-19. Do I have to notify all the other employees that they've worked with? Do I need to notify the city council because they were at a city council meeting with us? Like, 
what kind of advice would you give on that? Yeah, so um, you have an employee who has COVID-19, they're removed from the workplace, um, they've been around other coworkers or officials or whoever. Um, I don't think that you identify the employee by name, obviously, but I think you do notify uh, anyone who may have come in contact with that person that there has been a potential exposure for them and leave it up to them to decide how best to proceed as long as they're not exhibiting signs and symptoms. Uh, again, I, that happened here. I was in a board meeting uh, the day that I ended up going and being tested uh, and ultimately tested positive. Uh, we, we just notified everybody um, that, that there'd been exposed. I told them it was me, but um, we didn't have to just let them know that there's been an exposure. Let them handle handle that as as they best uh, deem appropriate for themselves. Talk to their medical physician and, and that kind of thing. Okay, so how did you narrow down the group of people that you were going to notify? So I well, I just I notified everybody who um, who I knew I had come in contact with, and you know here at OMAG, as you said, we don't congregate in close spaces. We were in our training room with our board members and we were definitely more than six feet apart. But because we were in the same room, I did let each one of them know and my coworkers who whose offices are around the area where my office is. Um, I didn't tell people who were downstairs in the claims department that they might have been exposed because I hadn't even seen them that day. Um, and so, you know, you just kind of have to. I think that I've out. seen the rule that it's like anybody you've been um, in a room with for longer than 15 minutes in yeah. close quarters. So I think there's just going to have to be some common sense um, right. with that. Um, and that's something you can also put in your policy. Um, to explain that if you've been in a room with someone longer than 15 minutes um, or, you know, you've been somewhere where you haven't had to wear a mask or you haven't worn a mask or whatever situation that is, then, um, you know, maybe that's the situation where you notify the people who are there. Um, I think maybe police and fire might be different. That might be a situation where, you know, you would notify everybody on the shift. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe not police, but fire because they're living together. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously each situation might be different. So, right. OMAG All Access would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. For your time, we would like to offer you the chance to win a pair of OMAG All Access Bluetooth headphones. To enter, all you have to do is head to www.omag.org forward slash all access and click on the corresponding image at the top of the screen. The password for each episode will change, so make sure you are always up to date on the newest episode of OMAG All Access by subscribing with your favorite podcast app. The password for this episode is COVID. Follow the directions on the giveaway page and you will be entered. Good luck. Susie, let me ask you about some other issues that we've addressed with city officials and employees. Uh, Should the city record hours of leave taken for COVID-19 in their current pay systems? Yes, 
I think they should, um, mainly for just kind of audit transpar transparency issues. Um, unfortunately, with the um, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the FFCRA, which we call it, um, it required any employer with less than 500 employees to give certain leave benefits. Um, and we can we have a link to some of that information on our website if you want that. It expired December 31st. Um, I have gotten calls um, from employees who said, I didn't know that they were supposed to give me this extra benefit and I was off for one of those six reasons during that time period. Um, can I make my employer go back and credit me those hours? And my answer is yes. Um, if your employer has less than 500, and most of our member cities do, most cities in Oklahoma have less than 500 employees. So um, if you had employees take leave for one of those six reasons listed in the FFCRA, then you need to go back and credit their sick leave accounts or vacation leave accounts appropriately. There's different levels of credits that they get depending on one of the six factors. Um, so obviously, you know, for auditing purposes and transparency, like I said, I think it's a good idea that you keep track of who was, who received FFCRA and for what reason they received it for. Um, you may not, ever be reimbursed for those because what the FFCRA specifically did was say that cities cannot get credits like private employers for granting that leave and for paying that leave. So unfortunately you don't get anything for it from the federal government. Um, but you know, there's still laws coming out about, uh, relief for COVID-19. And so maybe in the future, there might be some state relief or federal relief that you could. And so if you've kept track of it, whether it's in your payroll system or on a spreadsheet, um, then you're going to have easy access to the information you need to present that for reimbursement. Um, I don't know if that's going to come to fruition or not, but good reasons to keep it. Well, and, and as, as attorneys, er, that's who everybody is here uh, with us today, um, we want to have accurate time records regardless of, of, you know, whether it's in the FFCRA or something else, so that if somewhere down the road you're challenged on how you've kept your, your time and attendance records, you, you want to have that record. So I think just your basic rule should be always keep track of your time and attendance records. Um, and and that way you've got the proof and you don't have to rely on your employee or somebody else coming in and telling you what, what happened during that period of time. You've got the record. Yeah. So I think that's, a, that's just a good rule of thumb regardless of the circumstances. Yeah. And I don't know how many times in employment law we tell everybody you've got to treat everyone the same. And so if you have someone who does file a lawsuit and say, I was treated differently than this other employee because they were allowed to work remotely and take all this time off and they still have a ton of leave. Well, if you have a record that shows, yeah, because under the FFCRA, we had to give it to them right. and you were not in that same situation. Right. Um, and so you're able to prove moving forward that you did not treat them differently. You were paying them and treating them in accordance with federal law. Right, right. 
Um, so that opens the door to the discussion about working um, uh, remotely and payroll records and time records and how do we, you know, how do we make sure that we accurately track what's going on? Because one of the issues that came up with remote working was how do I make sure that my employees are actually working um, the required number of hours? Um, so we've, we've had to, to do with that, uh, deal with that quite a few times. Um, so what are your suggestions um, about what an employer city can do to make sure that when they have employees working remotely, they're not running afoul of, uh, you know, employment laws, F, you know, FLSA or FMLA and things right. like that. Right. Well, I think first and foremost, um, you've got to have a working from home policy that outlines um, how that will work for your employees. Um, you need to have those set criteria. For, for your employees. Um, you also, so critical to have a vehicle for tracking the hours that non-exempt employees work. Because if they're not at work, but they're and they're working from home, you've got to make sure that you are paying them for all of their time spent working. Um, and which is leads to the third, um, thing that you need to do if you're a supervisor of a non-exempt employee, uh, check in with them. Um, it's easier to do when everybody's at work in the same place, but when, when everybody's working from home, um, you, you've check in, make sure that they are uh, getting their work done. Uh, have, have assignments that you give to them and know that um, there's work that they can do from home um, and that they're not just sitting idle and expecting to be paid sitting idle. That's, that's not appropriate for uh, any employee. Okay, so you referred to non-exempt employees. Um, we get a lot of questions about this because there's a lot of confusion, um, even with attorneys, because you can't know everything, right? I mean, don't ask me a question about tax law or wills and trusts because I'm not going to give you a great answer. But um, under the FLSA, they refer to employees or they categorize employees by exempt and non-exempt. And there's different rules that go along with that about, you know, work hours and overtime and things like that. Um, and so for many, many years, you know, I think employers used, I don't want to call it an excuse, but the reason they didn't allow non-exempt non employees to work remotely is because employers are tasked with and required to keep track of hours and to make sure that they're only working their scheduled hours every week. And it's hard to do when you can't see them every single day. Um, a lot of people refer to non-exempt as hourly employees. Um, but can you kind of unpack that idea of exempt and non-exempt and why that's important in the remote working uh, scenario and why attorneys and city officials and employers should be understanding of that when they allow right. employees to work remotely? Right. So um, there are, are fewer issues really with those who are deemed uh, to be exempt 
um, under the FLSA, those ex exemptions, there's various categories for exemptions. Um, a lot of times you'll hear people call them salaried. That's really not an appropriate uh, reference for an exempt employee. They're exempt. Um, so there, there's fewer issues with that, although you want to make sure that they're doing their work as well. Uh, the issues really to be careful about are for those non-exempt employees. Um, their working hours um, are probably the most important because according to the FLSA, a non-exempt employee has to be paid for all of the hours that they work and they get overtime for any hours they work over 40 in a work week. Um, and that work week can, can vary, but you know, typically, you know, Friday through Thursday, Monday through Sunday, whatever it is, you have a set work week. Uh, and you count the hours that are worked in that work week and anything beyond 40 uh, has to be paid at the uh, time and a half uh, overtime rate. So you've got to have a clear policy on uh, what the work week is and what the, the work hours uh, are that need to be specified in, in the policy. As an important side note, in your job descriptions for each of your positions, you should say in there whether or not this position is an exempt position, exempt from overtime position, or a non-exempt uh, position under the FLSA. And again, uh, don't confuse the hourly versus salary uh, designations as substitutes for uh, non-exempt or exempt. Because again, the FLSA does not recognize those terms. Um, it's, it's critical to use the appropriate terms to avoid uh, any, any confusion about how you're supposed to be paying your employees. If you have questions about that, uh, you can Google the Department of Labor website. They've got fact sheets that cover just about any issue you could think about under the FLSA, and there are fact sheets available out there regarding exemptions from F, uh, FLSA overtime. And there are tests, there are fact sheets that have the tests that you can run through for each position uh, so that you can figure out whether or not they're exempt or non-exempt. So you're not left to just try to figure it out on your own that there are plenty of reference materials out there uh, under the Department of Labor website uh, to help you uh, get all of that squared away. We hope you can take something away from this podcast that will help your city or town. You can find more information about OMAG on our website at www.omag.org or on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or ideas for a podcast topic, please send them to allaccess at omag.org. On the next episode of OMAG All Access. Lot, lots of options, you know, can be as creative as, as you possibly can, but um, offer some kind of incentive such as a, a stipend, paid time off, maybe discounts on health insurance premiums, um, that all of those things together would encourage an employee to go and voluntarily be vaccinated for COVID-19. This episode is copyright OMAG 2021 under the Creative Commons 4.0 Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives International License. For more information, please visit creativecommons.org.